Hello there, I'm Patrick Strofe. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the top experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, and that's a clean exit for owners and founders. This week, I'm joined by Mr. Nate McKetterick, partner at the law firm DLA Piper. Nate specializes in transactional insurance and indemnification matters, representing clients both on the buy and the sell side. And if it's of uh, note right now for Nate, DLA Piper was just recognized as the top law firm in mergers and acquisitions, both in terms of deal value and total number of successful deals transacted. So Nate's been about as busy as anyone in the space, and he's got some great insights to share with us today. Yes, so my Nate, spouse is not as excited about uh, those statistics because we've been just so busy over the last four years um, well, doing so much uh, M&A-related work. Well, I, I, I think it's, it's good while it's going, and it's nice being one of the top performers as opposed to one of the bottom performers on this. Thanks again for joining yeah, us, Nate. Sure. It's been pretty exciting. Well, fantastic. Now, as a specialist in transactional insurance and indemnification, how did you pick that as a specialty uh, with all the different areas you can go to go into in corporate law? So I got started with insurance and indemnity back in the late 1980s when I had a job as a paralegal. And I thought, oh, law school, this is going to be great. And um, I went to law school and really a contracts professor set the hook for me. I mean, insurance policies and commercial contracts like M&A deals especially are the ultimate in contract law. And this professor I had, he was a British guy and he had the mannerisms and ran his class just like John Hausman did in the movie, The Paper Chase, if you've ever seen that. And after that, I knew I, I wanted to get into an area of law that was all about contracts. And so that's how I ended up with the specialization in insurance and indemnity and working on M&A deals. Well, it takes a special breed to be somebody that can grind away on those contracts, particularly as, as time goes on, they get longer, not shorter, I can imagine. Well, again, after you've been doing this for so long, though, you really start to understand what's important, what's not. And even though there may not be a court case or a statute that answers a particular question about how something is going to be interpreted, you've seen enough cases go to trial um, or enough cases go run through the courts on other issues that you can figure out, all right, if the parties get in a dispute over this term, um, here's how it likely comes out. And that's a perspective that I've always tried to bring to, to uh, negotiations. That's really helpful. Well, now, as an expert in transactional indemnification, we hear this term indemnification all the time. And it's one of those words that kind of flies by and people kind of know what it is and kind of don't know. Why is it so important for people to really understand indemnification and, and folks that are in that area of expertise? So very basically, it's getting someone else to try to pay the bills. Um, and that's important in the M&A context because as a seller, the seller is, being, uh, is required to put up promises about the business that the buyer is purchasing. And depending on the deal terms, those promises might be backed up by the seller's own personal assets at the end of the day. So that's why indemnification is so important. Uh, where, where I'm working with officers and directors, 
regarding their obligations to in, uh, with the company to indemnify them for legal fees they might have. It's the same issues where ultimately it's that directors or officers' personal assets that may be at issue in some kind of dispute with shareholders. So whether it's the M&A context or management liability context, uh, these are these are important questions and can have uh, horrific consequences if not attended to in negotiations. Yeah, I can imagine they get very dangerous because even you know the most thoughtful person thinking deep in and uh, trying to recall every possible thing about their business, there's something they're going to miss, whether unintentionally or just honestly they miss. And they, they don't want to be held responsible for something that was possibly out of their control. And, well, and, and I'll so, give you, yes, exactly. You know, and, and I'll give you an example. We had a seller who had been running a business for a long time. It had, the, it had expanded greatly. Um, it was highly desired by our buyer, um, but she was not. She the business had just grown so much that she was very nervous about making some of the reps that were being required and. Uh, we were able to discuss with her and convince her that rep and warranty insurance was a way that uh, we could have her make those promises, get some confidence behind the business, even though there were things that were unknown unknowns to her. And as a buyer, we would still have recourse. Um, and that's something, a discussion that we've had multiple times um, in the Valley, too, even some sellers who want just that extra assurance that their personal assets are going to be protected um, will sometimes even get seller-side rep and warranty insurance today so that that doesn't happen in case there's something they don't know about. I mean, the insurance is not just uh, there for some to sh- if there's some kind of wrongdoing. Most of these reps are strict liability reps. Okay. And by that, by that, what do you mean strict reliability for us non-attorneys? What does that mean? If the rep is untrue, the seller has an obligation to pay. Okay. It doesn't matter if the seller was, ne- was negligent or did something wrong or failed to do something. If the rep is incorrect, for whatever reason, the seller has to pay. An example is many components of an IP rep that's required. The seller having to rep that its IP is good, um, that if the IP is not good, it doesn't matter why, seller's paying. Mm-hmm. So this is why we can have you know the, that, the, that happiest day of reaching the mountaintop and selling your company, followed by months, possibly years of sleepless nights worried about what you might have missed or what you might have forgotten and and that great windfall that you got, that liquidity event that all the financial people talk about, is is vulnerable. It's at risk, and people can take take your house away then, literally, if uh, under under this scenario. That's right, and we do our best as deal lawyers to try to narrow. When we're on the seller side, we try to narrow as much as we can. But there's only so much you can do in in, partic- in any particular market with a particular buyer. Uh, sometimes the survival on these reps goes for more than than two years, depending on the type of reps. So we're we're talking about an extended period of time. I mean, some of the reps even go out to the statute of limitations, whatever that might be. That could be five, six years. So it is it is something where folks need need to take a close look.
Yeah, I think before the uh, emergence of some a variety of different insurance products came along, it was incumbent on the attorneys to do everything they could to kind of you know use their law- lawyering powers and write as airtight or watertight a contract as they could. And you can have provisions in there that were very favorable to one party or the other, but then you had to have the counterparty agree to it. And so you may have something that's airtight or watertight, but if your counterparty doesn't agree to it, then you're going to have to settle for something that may not be as uh, as protected. So then, then comes along, if you can't kind of lawyer your way or contract your way out of some exposure, then there are these a variety of different products out there. Uh, that can transfer that indemnity risk away from a party in a in a deal off to someone with deeper pockets, and that would be an insurance well, company. Right, and people wonder why. Well, why is an insurer willing to insure this risk? And the difference is, these insurers are insuring across hundreds of deals. So while you, as a buyer or seller, may be sensitive to a particular issue um, or a particular aspect of a transaction because it's the only, if you're, you've reached the mountaintop as a seller, right? It's the one big deal you're making. Or even as a serial buyer, you only do three companies a year. I mean, each deal is really big deal to you, whereas to an insurer, it can afford to take risks because it's across a giant portfolio of transactional insurance policies. Yeah, today now it's gone from six, seven years ago where the insurance companies were insuring a dozen or so uh, M&A transactions, maybe a few dozen M&A transactions to literally insuring thousands of deals a year. And so It's it's pretty crazy. But that's where you get that, again, a, a buyer or seller who's sensitive to particular issues can find an insurer to take over risk that the two parties aren't. It doesn't mean that the insurer is taking on unreasonable risk. It just means the insurer, who again has a broader portfolio of different kinds of risks, can afford to take on deal risks that neither a buyer or seller is willing to do. Okay. Um, For example, just flat amounts, right? We insure deals all the time now where the insurance carrier is picking up all the liabilities above a very modest deductible on the policy. I mean, 1% of the deal value um, is a very common deductible today, and the insurer's picking up the indemnity risk above that. It's not borne by the buyer. It's not borne by the seller. The insurer's willing to take it on. Yes. And with the, what, what's the criteria for a deal uh, to be eligible for insurance? We'll talk about the different types of insurance in, in a minute, but there's a transaction level size or a deal size or eligibility factor. What do, what do you see as the, uh, what deals could be eligible for this protection? So number one is it has to be a market deal in terms of the diligence that's being done, as well as the basic deal terms. Um, Insurers aren't going to insure deals that don't get a reasonable level of diligence by the buyer, given that type of deal. Now, of course, you're not going to expect the same diligence in a $20 million deal as you would in a $2 billion deal. But proportional to the deal, it needs to be a reasonable amount of diligence. 
Um, Bill size, we've actually seen insurers come down and insure uh, deals below even $20 million of enterprise value. It really comes down to how much insurance you're going to purchase. It's hard to get mar- the market's attention uh, for a policy of less than $5 million limits, but we've done policies as small as $3 million. Um, so there's really no deal where the answer is no, that's ins- not insurable. Um, as long as it is, you're looking for a policy limit of at least $3 million. And as long as it's one that has fairly reasonable diligence in terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've we've seen that transition over, over the last couple of years where if a deal was under $100 million, the insurance carriers, you, you really couldn't get their attention to now, as you said, it goes all the way down to $20 million. And it's as long as there's diligence there that's been done, there has to be some of that. So there has to be, if if not audited financials, there has to be a quality of earnings report uh, or or some third-party review of the earnings, largely because it, it, it's the financial reps uh, or the financial disclosures that are out there. Those are the ones that most often get breached and result in claims. So the underwriters are really looking at that. And then, as you said, I mean, the policy limit, as you get below 20 million, I think the economy is a scale kick in where, you know, nobody's going to insure a deal for the total exact value. You can't buy a $10 million policy to cover a $10 million transaction. However, if you do have a sub $20 million transaction, uh, we've seen, as you said, options for a lower limit below 5 million. Insurers are willing to do that. It, the one thing is it's the cost. The cost will be the same, whether it's a $5 million or a $3 million policy limit on a, on, a, on a deal. It just depends on if it's eligible or not. But I would say that, that bottom line at the, at the $5 million, if the indemnification clause in there is for $5 million, I think you're, you're, uh, you're right at the, the floor of the industry right now. Yeah, stuff. Could you talk about there's the the most popular product out there is a rep and warranty insurance. Where uh, for those that in our audience that aren't aware of it, it is essentially it is a product that will take the disclosures that the seller makes to the buyer, those reps and warranties. The buyer performs due diligence on those reps and warranties, and should post close uh, any of those uh, disclosures be inaccurate or wrong. And they result in a breach where the buyer, because of the breach of those reps, the buyer suffers a financial loss. The insurance company, not the seller, will step in and pay the buyer their loss. Okay, And so it's it's a product that's gained tremendous uh, credibility because it's real good performance. And it's it's become so cost efficient now that it's, it's a built in for more and more deals, as we say, much to us, us insurance brokers, to our to our uh, our joy. But Nate, there are, there's not just rep and warranty. There are other types of transactional type policies. What What are those? So there's also seller-side rep and warranty insurance. We used a lot more of that around 2007-8 as a percentage of our placements than we do now. Um, But we still do some deals with seller-side rep and warranty insurance. That's like a situation where you're up against a big strategic. Strategic's offering a great price, doesn't want to talk about insurance, wants you to give an IP rep or some kind of rep up to the purchase price, wants a huge escrow, and you as a seller are want to get some protection against that. 
So we still do occasionally seller-side reps insurance. Uh, there's tax insurance where there is a known identified tax issue that where an opinion can be given. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a will opinion. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a should opinion, depending on the issue or an opinion at all. Um, it's something that if there's a deal that there's a tax issue, you can get insurance around that tax issue. Um, uh, and it's that is we've done so many deals with that. It's been very helpful. There's uh, contingent liability insurance where you have an active piece of litigation or an active dispute, and it's killing the ability of a client to do a deal. I was just on the phone with a client today. They're being sued by a competitor. The litigation is completely bogus. It's anti-competitive litigation to try to damage our client as a competitor. Um, they have a buyer who's very interested in them for a very good price, but says, oh, this litigation, I mean, if I know you're saying it's remote, but boy, if it ever hit, um, what, you know, gosh, we can't really, we need to knock down the purchase price because of that. Our client is getting a contingent liability or looking into contingent liability insurance to potentially take over that and show the buyer, hey, you have no risk now. We bought the policy. So give me the price will not change. Um, other types of policies, environmental, if there's land going that has known environmental problems, cyber, that's becoming more and more important um, to have against cyber risks. Gosh, what other ones do we see come up in transactions? Those are probably the most common ones that get used today. Yeah, I think but I think the big issue. Yeah, I, th I think the popularity of the tax liability policy is real good because, unlike other types of insurance, what the tax policy will do is it will pay the if there if there's a tax amount that's due, it will cover that tax liability amount as well as any you know legal defense costs that are involved in in uh, arguing that and and or any fines or penalties. And fines and right. penalties are are often going to be excluded in a lot of other insurance products. Uh, but that's one is a very nice, neat package. When, when yeah, the tax insurance, we can do almost anything reasonable with tax insurance. And understand, rep and warranty insurance does cover tax reps and tax indemnities routinely. Um, but there are just some issues that might come out in diligence where there's a known tax problem. For example, um, a particular S-corporation issue where, yeah, it's probably never going to be a problem, but there's some missing documents or some issue. Um, a rep and warranty insurer routinely isn't willing to take on that specialized risk, at least for a rep and warranty-sized premium. But you can buy tax insurance that a sophisticated tax writer is going to come and say, this is pretty remote. I can understand why the buyer doesn't want to take this risk, but it's remote. We have a big portfolio of tax, tax risks. We can afford to do this. And they'll do it. So and we can get a deal done then. Yeah, I did so my first tax policy in 2000 where oh there goodness. was a transactional tax issue and AIG, who seemed like they would insure anything back then for the right price, um, put together a bespoke policy, and we got the deal done. It was great. Yeah, and, and since that time now, there are more and more insurers, and with more insurers, you've got more capacity out there, which leads to 
a very favorable outcome for the the public out there is that you know the the cost of insuring these risks is going in one direction is going down right now. There's, there are there's over 20 insurers that will insure, which is why you need a, a good broker to go out figure out which insurers might be most uh, amenable to insuring that particular deal and that risk, and aggressively market it to them. Um, that's it's it's much more complicated than the days when we only had three or four insurers out there. That's well, I like to, as as I like to say to clients with the with the growth in the insurance market out there, more isn't better. More is just more. You need to find the, <laughs> the there are certain markets that are there and they they want to take advantage of this growing tide of this activity and get a piece of of an expanding market. But there are others that really know what they're doing and have been doing. Uh, well uh, for years, and and some new emerging companies essentially grab talent from the, the old line carriers like AIG. So even though some newcomers may be new, they're just as experienced as as the, as the old players. And it's important for for you know represent to know not only the appetites of the markets, but the profile of the underwriters to see what what things they like, what they don't, where they're flexible, where they're not. And, exactly. And, and and also, quite frankly, just how busy they are, because sometimes, you know, these, these are time-sensitive transactions, and we've got to make sure that we have somebody who's going to stand by their word and deliver terms uh, at, at a right time. So right. there's more than one way It's not as common anymore, but we, we even, we've done, I insured a deal in three days, once I've heard that an insurer do it in even less. Um, I mean, these these insurers will typically respond in the timing necessary for a deal because timing is very important for a client. And we usually want a couple weeks to market it, negotiate it, get it together. And this is all done at the same time the deal is getting put together typically. But uh, yeah, we've we can do almost anything now. Um, with the right professionals involved, yeah, and you've seen you've seen this because that's been a common uh, objection from uh, people that haven't used the product is bringing inter- introducing insurance into a transaction it does not materially slow down the deal getting closed, does it? Usually not. Yeah, nobody wants insurance to be the long pole in the tent, and it. Nowadays, it usually is not because, again, the underwriters are very responsive. You get good attorneys, a good broker. We're doing stuff on the weekends routinely now. That's yeah. That that's just the what happens when you're in a busy, busy market these days. Now, tell me, Nate, what happens with clients where you know what's the difference between clients that are able to either with them or their representatives where they're successful in negotiating terms and they're particularly these indemnification clauses and others that just keep, you know, they, they keep running into the rocks on this thing. What's the difference between ones that succeed and those that don't? Um, it's, it's having good advisors, frankly. I mean, I not only know what all the tools in my toolbox look like, but if I've got to go to the machine shop and invent some new tool, whether it's a, a provision or a, finding an insurance product, something, I'll, I can do it. Um, and we've done it over so many thousands of different types of deals and investments. So that's the main thing is just having the ability to think creatively. I was on the phone this morning on a very, on a continuous 
Chiss deal where there was a dispute over indemnification issues and relating to the rep and warranty insurance. And based on a few things that we've done in other deals over the years, I was able to think of a compromise that I think is going to work on this deal um, that's we haven't done before, but it's based on a couple things that have done, we have done and have worked. Deal's going to happen now. So that's that's why. So you get you get the right team in place. Would that be well? What would uh, be your number one team? experience and being and you know being experienced? Experience mm-hmm. counts. Yeah, I'm, there and there's no substitute for it, and there's no shortcut uh, around it. I I absolutely agree with you. What would your advice be? We've got a lot of owners and founders that that listen in on this, and you know, short of them going to their own negotiations boot camp and getting a uh, you know a uh, their own law degree on this kind of thing, what would be your top advice to give to the owners and founders out there as they're getting in and preparing for this big negotiation on the indemnification area of the of the deal? Well, setting aside having a great attorney, a team of attorneys whom you trust, um, the easiest way from A to B with rep and warranty insurance is to have a good broker, uh, somebody who you can trust, who can go to the markets, who will negotiate, uh, who will recommend which policy negotiate the the term with you for that insurance because the terms are negotiable. Uh, pressure the insurers. That's that's the most helpful, um, and usually working in concert with your lawyers to make what you need to happen to sell or happen. Yeah, I agree with that. Just because uh, in in the deals that we've worked, and we, uh, you know, there's there's definite hand in glove work with the with the buyer side attorneys on this because. Uh, there, there are issues that come up and we just, you need to have that communication that all the bases that need to be covered are covered. And if they don't appear to be covered, well, here's how we're looking at it and tell us if, if this, if this goes for you. And I was thinking of a deal where, again, the seller is looking at getting some kind of its own insurance, whether it's, uh, some kind of cyber or other insurance that it has to get in before a deal happens, to seller side rep and warranty. Um, if a seller is looking at trying to have a buyer get buyer side insurance, then having somebody advise the seller about what the market looks like, uh, can how insurable is this deal? What should what be a reasonable proposal to the buyer for a deal that uses uh, a rep and warranty product? That's the kind of advice a seller is going to need up front. Is hey, how do I position my deal to use insurance in an effective manner that will get this deal done on favorable terms for me, but still be acceptable to a buyer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a question um, from your experience, because the the, the rep and warranty policies you have, sell side policies, which don't really represent a, a meaningful percentage. Ninety plus percent of the policies are policies that are written in the name of the buyer and yes. must be paid directly to the buyer. Now, from your experience, when with these buyer policies, where does the source come for the insurance? Does it come from the buyer? Does it, or is it a recommendation from the seller where the seller says, "Hey, I'm we'd like to introduce this. Uh, you know, please please consider this as a way to work around our indemnification issue." Where do you see it sourcing? Has it and has it changed over the last couple of years? For competitive 
uh, bids or situations where a buyer wants to preempt the market, both we'll see the buyer propose in those two circumstances. Buyer will come in and say, I'm going to use reps insurance on this deal seller and limit your liability under the purchase agreement. Um, in deals where it's not, uh, it's not as competitive, perhaps you have really no market for this, this particular seller or problem or a buyer who's just offering such a blowout price that essentially there are, there is no other competition in those cases. It's, um, it's tougher to make the the rent and warranty argument with the buyer um, right off the right off the bat. I mean, the buyer may come in those circumstances with at least a strategic buyer with uh, with a fifteen percent escrow and standard indemnification terms. That doesn't mean that the buyer can't be brought along to do an insured deal. It's just who's presenting the idea of insurance in that case? It's usually the seller. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we're we're seeing more uh there's been reluctance in the particularly in the strategic acquirer field where there was reluctance to to use the insurance and it's slowly changing and coming around, but it it's definitely one where sellers need to know about it because many sellers don't even know to ask about that. And so well, and a unless, lot of times unless of course they've got someone like you representing along. Right, yeah. that's right. And and but a lot of times the strategic buyers who aren't proposing it off the bat for whatever reason, sometimes they can be brought along. Uh, maybe they have experience with the product before on a different deal. They're just not comfortable with it yet. Uh, maybe the terms of this deal, if they're, if they're deal guys for the strategic, see that the only way they get the deal done is by doing this rep and warranty insurance thing, the deal guys will be 100% behind it. Uh, so that's... that's uh, that's a situation that we we've seen many times. Okay, what a great perspective out there. Tell me, Nate, is there anything we missed? Anything else that uh, you need to cover here? No, it's been a pleasure talking to you today about things. I'll just say they continue to change um, what what's going on in the market. So definitely uh, tune in in the next few months, and I'm sure there'll be something new in this market to talk about. I, I think from quarter to quarter that that's just uh change is gonna be a constant. That's the that's the one thing that's definitely out there and uh some very new trends out that that we're beginning to see. So we'll we'll have to converge and talk about that on 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 another uh, opportunity. Uh there are listeners here that may want to get a little bit more information or ask questions for uh, from you. How can people get a hold of you, Nate? Just Google Nate McKitter at DLAPaper.com. You'll get my webpage with my contact information. Always happy okay. to talk to anyone about questions they may have. All right. Fantastic. Well, Nate, thanks again for just a you, real full real full description of all this stuff out there where it was a subject that a lot of people didn't know existed until they get into a, a deal themselves. <laughs> I hope they're so lucky. Very good. We should all be so lucky. All right. Have a good one, Nate. All right. Take care.